let's begin here. If we put our finger to the wind of our kind of cultural moment, we'll see a rapid decline in community. Over the last 20 years, we've seen a significant decline in the realities of communities. Church attendance has been cut in half over the last few decades. It's just the reality of what we're living in. Commitment, we don't even know what is commitment. That's like now a canceled word. We're not even allowed to use that word anymore, right? And so this is just our reality. There's a book, Bowling Alone, I've mentioned this before in the early 2000s, that talked about the, there's a lengthy work around the decline of community life. And they talked about bowling leagues. Again, I know some of us were like avid bowlers. I actually bowled in eighth grade. Every Friday, me and some buddies, some buddies and myself, uh, would bowl on Fridays. So that was like a cool thing we used to do. Um, so I guess I could find myself in this. Uh, but this used to be a thing, bowling leagues used to be a thing, where you would have a commitment, you'd show up every week, you'd enjoy each other, and then you'd leave. But now like commitment's just such a thing of the past. And our our social, social climate is, is on a decline because of it. Community life has deteriorated in, in a generation. And now, in May of 2023, just a few months ago, the U.S. surgeon said this. Dr. Vivek Murthy released a new Surgeon General advisory calling attention to the public health crisis of loneliness, isolation, and a lack of connection in our country. Something several years ago that Great Britain put together a minister of loneliness because of the epidemic. Nine million Brits were con- uh, saying, throwing their hand in the air saying that they were, they were lonely. And now in our country, we're feeling this reality. Loneliness is the sad reality of the modern life. Gallup poll group said that the, Amer- the Americans are among the loneliest people in the world. It's where we live. Sad. Loneliness leads to a wide range of, of health problems. If we go down this path a little bit, a Harvard Business Review cited that social isolation is associated with a reduction in lifespan similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day. There's effects to this reality of loneliness. There's a greater effect on, this has a greater effect on our lifespan than obesity does. It's realities of loneliness that we feel. And so the question is, is there a, is there a practice is there an invitation that Jesus offers to us that's counter to what we're living in? And the answer would be yes. The invitation would be true gospel-centered community. And we want to focus on that over the next couple of weeks. We want to spend some time considering a vision for community. And this is not saying that we figured it out. We are a broken community learning how to grow together. So I'm not saying that this is the vision that we've achieved at all. But what I am saying, there's a vision that we are invited into together, to grow together, to learn to follow Jesus together. And that's what I want to invite us into. Each week I want to take a few minutes within our time together and, and have a testimony of someone who's uh, invested into a community and community groups over this last year. And so this morning I want to invite up my friends, John and Kristen Snow. So y'all give it up for John and Kristen this morning. Hey, brother. Good to see you. Hey, sister. Good morning. Um, just, just ask them to come share for a few minutes. They moved a little over a year ago. I don't want to steal your thunder. So I'm just going to say they moved over a year ago to here. And they're going to take it over from there. Thanks, Ernie. Uh, good morning. My name is John Snow, and this is... Kristen. Um, if I haven't met you, uh, I usually sit right here, so the back of my head probably looks familiar. 
There it is. Um, <laughs> I'm just give you guys 360. But uh, thanks for but yeah, the 360. Good morning. Uh, it's a sweet trick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like Ernie said, we moved to Marietta um, a little over a year ago, and just like you know any big decision that you're going to make, you start to you know prioritize and figure out what your priorities are. Um, and so two of uh, our priorities when we moved here was one uh, trying to identify like, a new church home, and then. Um, also, uh, trying to find a church that had small groups, um, so uh, both of which we found here at Sojourn, um, and uh, yeah, and just wanted to acknowledge too and, and share that like we really enjoyed getting to know a lot of you here at Sojourn, uh, especially you know before church and after church. Um, just the the check in with each other uh, is great and like we enjoy it, but it's a little chaotic, especially with our three kids, uh, who are six, four, and two. So it doesn't really give um, a lot of space and time to be able to, you know, have like those deeper conversations. Um, so, uh, yeah, before we came here, we'd spent like more than 10 years uh, leading and being participating in like small groups. And, um, yeah, just saw like a lot of fruit in that. And so it made sense for that to be a priority when we came here. And we got to really uh, experience the necessity of having like that weekly rhythm um, with other uh, brothers and sisters in our church. So, yeah, again, it was a priority when we came here, and then, uh, unfortunately, when we moved here uh, about a year ago, we just had a lot of adversity and uh, went through a lot of suffering, and um, so it was a sweet uh, intersection of God's grace, um, just to be able to, uh, yeah, to experience his grace um, from, you know, through a lot of you guys, like in our small group, and then as well as um, the intentionality of pursuing a group at that time uh, was really sweet. Um, and uh, something else I want to say. Um, but, yeah, I think over the past couple of years, just making the decision to come here and then going through all the suffering that we did uh, over the past year really got to uh, see that's a divine gift uh, from the Lord to have, like, that weekly rhythm and, uh, you know, talk about things that are more than just, like, what you do but uh, sharing your heart with one another. Um, so I think we were just trying to think of, like, a couple of things that, you know, if you're considering being in a small group, uh, one is like Ernie was saying a second ago is commitment, um, you know, committing to go there each week, uh, even if you don't really feel like it. I think in those moments you really um, share your heart um, and can build like those deeper relationships. And then the second piece of it is um, uh, not thinking of it so much of, like what can I get out of this group, but like what might um, your brothers and sisters be able to get out of it, of you being there. Uh, I think... Um, yeah, just God's sovereignty, like, knowing that a lot of you would, would bless us and serve us, like, well, over the past uh, year through where we've had a lot of downs. Um, and so, you know, we expect, like, unfortunately, like, trials, like, in our lives. And uh, it was clear to us that this is, like, God's intent for our lives here, like, on earth to be in community. And um, so, yeah, just think about that, too, like, what you know, spiritual gifts or experiences you have that uh, you could bless others in your church. I think just to piggyback on that a little bit, um, with commitment, just committing to not only be there, but to be honest about what's going on and just let people in. I think we, like John said, we just experienced like our group serving us. And I think we would have, we, there's a lot of genuine care that we felt, not just from the people, but a side of the Lord that we got to see God's care um, and just concern for us through the people that we wouldn't have seen if we had been uh, more private. Mm. And 
Um, so that was really sweet. So I think I did just want to say I forgot, but when I went to the first group, um, just because it is awkward, like you don't, if you don't know people, and especially mm-hmm. for us, we were new, we didn't know anyone. And it was kind of a big group. Most people were there because it was the first night. And um, everyone had either known each other for a long time or been in a group. And I was just sitting there like really nervous, like, I don't know anyone here. How am I going to like develop relationships with these people? And I just feel like even in less than a year, just because we, um, you know, God put that on our heart to make that a commitment and really just like be honest and open um, and make a point to show up even when it's hard. We really experienced his grace and, and goodness through that that we would have missed out on. So I think in being a part of a group, not only, you know, like John said, coming because you might receive that, but also that you can give that to others, that you have um, just a unique way to show people how much God loves them and cares about them through being in a relationship with them. So you should join good. the group. Good stuff. Yeah, thanks, Ernie. Yeah, appreciate it. Good? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate, it. appreciate you guys. Thank so, you guys. No, you're good. You're good. It's good. Yeah, I mean, I've... I've I've loved the way that the snows have carried themselves, being that they just kind of jumped in both feet. Like, I want to I be a part. And I think in return, it became a safety net for them as they went through some trials they didn't know they were going to enter into. It's just beautiful. Um, so we're going to continue that theme this morning. The, kind of the, the theme over the next couple of weeks is that you've been saved into something bigger than this morning would be bigger than you. You've been saved into something bigger than you. Over the next few weeks, we're going to spend time resetting on a vision for community and the reality is this, our, our salvation for you, you might kind of think of salvation as like strictly vertical. Like your justification, forgiveness, adoption is, is between you and God, and it's all very personal. And that's, that is for sure true, but it's not limited to just that. You have also been saved into a family. You've been saved into a body. You've been saved into a, a, a family of brothers and sisters. That's the nature of adoption. You're not just a bunch of only children in the family of God. You're in a, in a wide assortment of brothers and sisters, some of which annoy you, but you are tethered to them and you're called to learn to grow together with them. David Benner, he says, conversion always points us toward fellow human beings, not simply toward God. And so there's a, for sure, horizontal salvation and redemption is because of the blood of Jesus and the way that he has uh, torn the veil and connected us with God. And we're invited into the family of God, which means this, that community isn't just about my needs and my wants and what's best for me, but it's something much more beautiful that we're invited into. You have been saved into something bigger than you. Just a couple thoughts for this morning. The first is just considering what is community. Community, this word that's used throughout the New Testament is this word you've probably heard of before. It's called koinonia. Koinonia is a Greek word that means a mixture of either community or partnership or fellowship. And uh, it's this idea that you you're, have something in common with somebody other than yourself. It's kind of a mixture of two things. It's proximity. Koinonia is made up of, of proximity, of face-to-face closeness. But not limited to just proximity. It's also a common objective. So it's proximity and a common objective. And what we see throughout the New Testament is that that um, common objective is following Jesus together. You know, we can get that face-to-face proximity in a lot of different circles that we can run in commitments that we have. We moved right about a year ago, and, and so we're part of a, a neighbor, neighborhood pool. And, and so people have welcomed us. We've interacted with people. We've had face-to-face encounters with people and, and so forth. And that's proximity. But quantity is not just about proximity. 
it's also about a common goal. In Acts 2.42, it says they, they devoted themselves. It was a mutual devotion of themselves to the, the word and to prayer and to breaking bread together. There was a, a, a togetherness that was beyond just a general proximity. It was also a common goal of connection and care around following Jesus Together, So there's a mixture of both proximity and a common goal. It's, it's face-to-face and choosing to follow Jesus together. That would be the nature of the heart of community that we see in this word koinonia. This means two things then, that community is not the same as connectivity. It's not the same as connectivity. You can be connected to someone and not have community with them. We have to speak to this because it's where we live. It's why we're so lonely in a lot of ways. We have texting and social media. We have FaceTime. We have travel. And we can mistake connectivity with community. And it's not true. There's limitations that you have in a screen that you can't have in a face-to-face connection. Loneliness is peaking while we are more connected than ever. It's ironic. That there has never been a time in human history where we are as lonely as we are today, and we're more connected than we've ever been in human history, which means that community cannot equal connectivity. It's more than that. We yearn for face-to-face conversations. Face-to-face is the, is the most humanizing thing that you can do, to be present, phone aside, present with somebody else, learning to listen learning to empathize. We weren't made to be connected. We were made to live in community together. You know, I've been in scenarios, many scenarios, where painful moments have taken place for people. And there's just something very limiting when that's communicated through a text message. There's only so much that you can do when you're interacting with someone going through pain over a screen or through text messages. There's something very different. We've experienced this, where you are across a coffee table from someone who's going through pain, and you see tears coming down their face. You say, I'm sorry. You experience something there that you just can't do over a screen. There's something powerful about community that's beyond what connectivity is. That's why we say, is, even when it comes to parents, that moments like dinner time are just so essential community life together, something so critical about putting the phone aside, turning the TV off, and being present together. So community is not the same as connectivity. And then second, community is not the same as chemistry. There's a temptation to have a bar for community that is extremely unrealistic. And it's so easy to live within ideals, what people seem to have on social media. You know you follow people, or you know people that follow people, or let's be honest, we follow people, and we look at their lives, and it's like, man, I wish I had their life. It feels like they have the greener grass that you're longing for. You can live an ideal of wishing that you had what they had, what appears people experience on social media. You can long to wish that you had yourself. And the reality is this. I'm becoming incredibly cynical of what social media communicates to us. You are likely wrong. And your assessment, if your assessment of someone online is ideal. If you look at somebody online and you say, man, they got it good. I just want to give you a news flash and say you're probably wrong in your assessment. It's probably much more broken on their side than they're communicating. But we can feel that. We can feel that ideal. We can yearn for that ideal. See, community is not the same as chemistry. We can, we can have this romanticized view of community. 
we can yearn for certain things. To live in a community, we have to de-romanticize our view of community. I mentioned this quote before, but it's worth mentioning every single year. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book, Life Together. He was a part of a community of people uh, during, during the fought against Nazi Germany, uh, about 150 of them that lived in this communal reality together. And he said this, he said, he who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. He who loves his dream of community, an ideal of community, more than the reality of the community that they have, is going to end up destroying the reality of the community that they have. See, our dream of an ideal community can and will destroy the community that you currently have. See, when chemistry is our goal, we search for this myth, this unicorn looking to experience something that you will likely, you will never truly and fully experience. We look to find in community what we only can find in God. There's only, there's limitations in what we experience within community. If we're honest, community will disappoint you. People will disappoint you. People will hurt you. Community's messy. Sometimes you got to follow up with someone and say, hey, I'm honest, what you said really hurt me. And what we end up doing more oftentimes than not is when that happens, we run. And we go to the next community, never grow. And we live there for a few years until some people start hurting us. And then we run. And we live like a kid all of our lives. We never grow up. We never learn how to have hard conversations. We never learn how to own our mess. We never learn how to truly allow the gospel and community shape us and develop us and cause us to flourish together. You know the amount of trust that's built over time? When you know that if you hurt somebody, they'll come to you and, and not like trying to wield the sword of weaponization. We're actually going to talk about that next week. How to engage someone that hurts you and how not to. But you know, there's something so bonding when you grow past the infancy stage of community and you learn to actually grow together. That's not romanticized. That's hard. That's messy. And it's the most beautiful thing that God could give us on this side of heaven. It's our reality. Thank you, Manny, for speaking to me, man. Bring up more, please. If we can get through trying times together, we can grow into this deep, meaningful gift of what community is. Community is not the same as chemistry. It's not connectivity. It's not chemistry. But it is this invitation of proximity and common goal. It's this, it's this vision of face-to-face -face growing together as we seek to follow Jesus together. This is the invitation of Jesus, something greater than me. And I want to just consider for our final few minutes and, and Matthew 12, this just picture of Jesus' invitation. One of the many invitations that we're going to see over the next couple of weeks around community. The second point I have for you is that Jesus likened this type of community to a family. He likened this type of community to a family. Matthew chapter 12, 46, he says this. Well, he was still speaking to the people. Behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. 
For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This little story here is incredibly scandalous in the first century and the dynamics of family that existed there. Uh, see, he's saying is my family is not biological, but one that is built upon faith. See, Jesus introduces a provocative familial vision of community. See, what Jesus is implying here is staggering. In this context, there was no greater allegiance in this day and time. We see it some today in Mediterranean cultures and Eastern cultures, this deep allegiance to the family. So to understand what Jesus is saying here with that in mind guides how we reset on what community is and isn't. See, he's putting priority to his community over the allegiance of his day. It's not minimizing his value for his family. When he was on the cross, he told John to care for his mom. Like he had a deep care for his mother. That's not the point. The point is he's confronting the allegiances of his day and redefining this value and vision for community. He's introducing a familial vision that he created in his death and resurrection and the new dawn that was created in his resurrection and the birth of the church. Joseph Hellman, in his book, When the Church Was a Family, said this about this idea. He says, The Mediterranean family should markedly inform our understanding of Christian community, since the idea that we are brothers and sisters in Christ constitutes the fundamental conceptual point of departure for coming to grips with God's social vision for his church. We must learn to grasp the way in which brother would resonate with someone in the first century. See, he likened this community, this vision, brother, sister, to family. The New Testament constantly echoes this sentiment. The New Testament, the epistles are lathered with this emphasis over and over and over again. We are reminded of our need for one another. Like the snows even mentioned, the need to have one another in the good times and in the hard times. In the New Testament, there are 59 references to this phrase, one another, 59 times. I love re- revisiting these verses each year because they are this weighty reminder of what the vision of the church is, and that confronts how we've experienced the church, and it helps us reset on what Jesus is inviting us into and not settling for maybe what we've lived with. I want to I read these to you, because they communicate Jesus' heart and vision for the church. Sixteen times in the New Testament, we hear this phrase, love one another. We hear, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves, live in harmony with one another, build up one another, be like-minded towards one another, accept one another, admonish one another, greet one another, care for one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, be patient with one another, speak the truth in love, as Austin even mentioned earlier, to one another, be kind and compassionate to one another, speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, submit to one another, consider others better than yourselves. Look to the interest of one another. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Comfort one another. 
encourage one another, exhort one another, stir up one another to love and good works. Show hospitality to one another. Employ the gifts that God has given us for the benefit of one another. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Pray for one another. And lastly, confess your faults to one another. I mean, that's just deep 59 times. Why? Why would this drumbeat exist over and over and over again in the New Testament? Unless there's this invitation that the word of God is trying to give to the church to remind us of what the vision of community is and what it isn't. See, the New Testament is reminding us of the family of Jesus that he's created and our need for one another. See, you and I have been saved into something bigger than ourselves. In the first century, Jesus had a profound vision about community, and he likened that vision to family. See, when we don't understand this vision for the church as family, we will end up with a very selfish view of community. I'm not going to go there because they don't give me X. I'm, I'm going to stop going there because they don't give me Y. And we can just do it over and over and over again. There's times when you need to leave a community. Don't get me wrong, but there's something greater in this vision that we are given here. Cyprian, the North African bishop, he said this, no one can have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. And when we need one another, we're not just invited to a, whole, a vertical relationship with God, though we are. God is our Father because of Jesus. And through Jesus, we are given one another. Charles Spurgeon called the church the deepest, the, uh, this is a misquote. It's supposed to say the dearest place on earth. I don't know what's up there. Nothing's up there, so that's actually good for everyone. Um, didn't need to say any of that. Um, let me just try that again because that was a huge flop. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher in the 19th century, he said that the church is the dearest place on earth. He understood Jesus' heart for community. We need one another. Yeah, we've missed it along the way. The church has been relegated to an event that we go to, and we're invited into something so much more. We're saved into something bigger than ourselves. So to live in this kind of Jesus community, we're invited to a few things. First thing we're invited into as I land this plane is that we're invited, in to, we're invited to give up autonomy. We're invited to give up autonomy. Autonomy means self-government. And we're invited to not just be our president, our uh, senate, our house. Uh, we're not just invited to be the only voice into our lives. We're fed a warped view of autonomy that makes us think that our self-freedom will be the only thing that brings us happiness. And it doesn't comes to a point in the Christian community that we say we need one another to get through life. And so we have to go beyond this vision of self-autonomy and recognize that we are invited into something bigger than ourselves. If we want to grow, friends, we need one another. Secondly, we're invited to de-romanticize our view of community. It's a must for us. He who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. It will have bumps and bruises along the way, but life together has the potential to do something special in us, forge something that only could be had if we committed to one another. So friends, again, this church will disappoint you. We are not perfect. If we're seeking community like, we're, like we had it in college, you just ain't, ain't going to ever have it. Community in college was like shooting fish in a barrel. It was just easy. 
It was easy to build relationships. No commitments. Very few just had to go to class, maybe work a little bit if your parents made you. You had likely had no kids. You had very few commitments. And so you could do whatever you want. But guess what? We grew up. Some of us call that adulting, and I don't know why we call it that, but we grew up. That's, that's human history. We just call that you grew up. And now we don't know how to grow up, so we call it, and we have to label it something, which is ridiculous in and of itself. But I digress. But we've grown up, and in growing up, we've had to have more pressure and more commitment, and yet the value of community is even stronger now than it was then. We need to de-romanticize our view of community. It's not a personality type that if you're extroverted, you need community, and if you're introverted, you don't. No, we across the board need community. Lastly, we're invited to commit. We're a generation of FOMOers, right? Fear of missing out, who don't commit, and we're also the loneliest generation. What if something better comes up? Yeah, it's going to come up. Something better might come up. It probably will, and commitment allows you to forge this path together. See, people who don't commit, they stay stagnant. But long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine growth in the Christian life. See, when we go from church to church, we become like spiritual nomads and we're stunt in our growth. There's exceptions for sure with spiritual, emotional abuse, moving away from the gospel, certain things that you ought to depart from that context. What we found within our groups is that the groups that... Uh, flourished were the ones that committed together, those that committed to one another. So for the good of our groups, as we move forward over the next couple of weeks, we want to invite you into that space of commitment if this is the season of life that you can. So we have groups launching in the next few weeks. You can go on our Church Center app. You can sign up for our Bible studies, which we'll talk more about next week. We're gonna, you can sign up for our community groups. But there's five values for community groups I'm just going to hit over the next couple of weeks just to let you know our heart for community groups. The first value for community groups is that we want to foster relationships. We have groups that know one another. Should we share our testimonies? We share our stories with one another. Every group will begin the year by sharing their story their life, how God has met them, the good, the bad, the ugly, and there's something incredibly bonding that fosters relationships in that space. Second value is that we commit to each other. We show up. It's a baseline for us. There's seasons when committing is not realistic for us, but we show up and we commit to one another. Third, we, we grow together. We grow in the scripture. We grow in prayer. We oftentimes will break up into smaller groups with guys and girls and, and pray for one another within the group. We love our neighbor would be the fourth thing that we do. We pray for our community, we pray for our world, we serve locally, we pray for things globally. And lastly, we, we want to develop our leaders. We want to see people within our groups that have the gift mix to lead and facilitate a group, to maybe lead and facilitate a group in the near future. We want to foster that space within our groups. Friends, we want to reset around this vision of community. And we're going to allow that to be the standard, not our experience to define us, but allowing the, the vision of the New Testament to be the vision that we seek to pursue as we seek to grow together in a world that's hard, in a world where we don't have all the answers for, in a world sometimes things are really confusing and frustrating, and yet we have each other that we can support each other as we navigate through hard and beautiful things together. Amen? Let's pray. So, Father, as we close our time together, we thank you for the, the bread and the cup. We thank you for this beautiful invitation that we have 
this beautiful invitation, Lord, to find redemption in you, through the triune God, the creator of all things, who made all things good and we rebelled against him. He pursued us and invited us into his family, into his fold, and invited us into being adopted to brothers and sisters. And I pray that you deepen this value within this community. Stir us to love one another. Stir us to see these 59 expressions of one another in the New Testament. Let that become the carrot that we want to pursue as a body. In Jesus' name, amen.